myself a man And I'll be there for I am When the troubles come And hard times find your way Rise and take a stand I am with thee so you can I will calm the storms And shield thee with my hand You are mine forevermore I will love you and adore All your sin is washed away By the blood I shed that day So stand and shew thyself a man Shew thyself a man Grow in grace as I demand Let the word of Christ dwell richly in your heart At work, at home, or play Just obey without delay Be a light that shines Help others find their way You are mine forevermore I will love you and adore All your sin is washed away By the blood I shed that day So stand and shew thyself a man You are mine forevermore I will love you and adore All your sin is washed away By the blood I shed that day So stand and shew thyself a man Stand and shew thyself a man Stand and shew thyself a man For the book of Nehemiah, Nehemiah chapter 1 Nehemiah chapter 1, we're going to begin reading in verse 1. This past year our theme has been a mind to work and we've had a couple of many series along the way that uh, incorporated that theme. Today I just want to preach a message that I've entitled a mind to work. It's simple, it's straightforward, there's nothing complicated about it, but it's something I think will be encouragement and help to us. Nehemiah chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. Nehemiah chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. It's kind of one of those books in the Bible where you've got to kind of really look if you're not used to thumbing through that Old Testament. It gets kind of hidden in there a little bit. I trust you've got it. We'll go ahead and begin reading in verse 1. It says, The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah, it came to pass in the month Chisleu, In the twentieth year, as I was in Shushan, the palace, that Hanani, one of my brethren, came, he and certain men of Judah, and I asked them concerning the Jews that had escaped, which were left of the captivity, and concerning Jerusalem. They said unto me, The remnant that are left of the captivity there in the province are in great affliction and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem also is broken down. The gates thereof are burned with fire. It came to pass when I heard these words that I sat down and wept and mourned certain days and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. 
and said, I beseech thee, O Lord God of heaven, the great and terrible God that keepeth covenant and mercy for them and love him and, uh, and observe his commandments. Let thine ear now be attentive and thine eyes open that thou mayest hear the prayer of thy servant, which I pray before thee now day and night, the children of Israel thy servants, and confess the sins of the children of Israel which we have sinned against thee. Both I and my father's house have sinned. We have dealt very corruptly against thee and not kept the commandments nor the statutes nor the judgments which thou commandest thy servant Moses. Remember, I beseech thee, the word that thou commandest thy servant Moses, saying, If ye transgress, I will scatter you abroad among the nations. But if ye turn unto me and keep my commandments and do them, though there were of you cast out into the uttermost part of the heaven, yet will I gather them from thence and will bring them unto the place that I have chosen to set my name there. Now these are thy servants and thy people whom thou hast redeemed by thy great power and by thy strong hand. O Lord, I beseech thee, let now thine ear be attentive to the prayer of thy servant, to the prayer of thy servants who desire to fear thy name. And prosper, I pray thee, thy servant this day, and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. For I was the king's cupbearer. <clears throat> We notice a couple of things in the passage. We see the condition and state of the city, Nehemiah's city. In verse 3, of course, he wasn't living there, but that was his home, if you will. They said to him that those that are left of the captivity, they're in great affliction and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem also is broken down, and the gates thereof are burned with fire, in verse 3. The condition and state of their city was in ruin. It was wrecked. What a mess it was in. Nehemiah, hearing the news, of course, expressed great compassion and sympathy. We see in Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 4, And it came to pass when I heard these words that I sat down and wept and mourned certain days and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Nehemiah hears the news, and man, his heart is broken. I mean, he's, he's stirred. And there's something inside that just, his heart breaks inside. He hears about the city that is so beloved. He hears about the people of God that he loves so dearly. Oh, he's not there. He's not living there. It's possible that his family's not even there at all. But the fact is, is that his heart yearns for the people of God. His heart yearns for Israel and for their great city, Jerusalem. Boy, with great compassion and sympathy, we find him weeping now. We see the confession and the sorrowfulness of a servant of God in verse, four, uh, verse 5. The Bible tell, it says, And I beseech thee, O Lord God of heaven. He turns to the Lord. He begins to pray. He begs God for some things. As a matter of fact, along the way, he even confesses some sin. He says um, in verse 6, Let thine ear now be attentive and thine eyes open, that thou mayest hear the prayer of thy servant, which I pray before thee now, day and night, for the children of Israel thy servants, and confess the sins of the children of Israel, which we have sinned against thee, both I... Both I and my father's house have sinned. It's interesting that he includes himself, isn't it? He understands he's a member of this great nation. He's a member of this people. And he says, listen, I and my people, my fathers, we've done this. We've brought this to pass. We have dealt very corruptly, verse seven against, uh, 7, against thee, and have not kept the commandments, nor the statutes, nor the judgments, which thou commandest thy servant Moses. Isn't that something? I mean, in this particular case, 
I mean, he confesses to the Lord and he, he takes full responsibility for the sin of the people. There's no blame shifting here. There's no, it's the woman thou gavest me. There's no, well, it was the generation before. It, it, it was those people. They're the ones that let it slip. It's because they let the Bible get out of the school system. It's because they permitted uh, prayer to be taken out of the public domain. It's because they allowed the Ten Commandments to be removed and taken out of public places. No, it, it, he didn't do that. He didn't blame everybody in the past. He said, yes, them and my, myself, me and them, all of us, the people of God, we've permitted this, we've allowed this, we brought this on. He didn't blame the conquering nation. But he places the responsibility squarely on his shoulders and the people of God. Well, I'll tell you what, it's a tough pill to swallow to accept responsibility. If, if there's something that we struggle with in our world today, in our culture, our society especially, it's receiving and accepting and shouldering responsibility. You know, it seems rare that someone steps up and says, I, it's my fault. I take full responsibility and I am willing and understand there are consequences to this because I'm admitting it, because I'm confessing it, because I am coming to you now and admitting that I'm at fault, I, I don't expect you to let me off the hook. Oh boy, when's the last time you, you had somebody actually confess that way? Nowadays, it seems once people think they're kind of caught, then they'll go ahead and confess it because they know that Americans as a whole are very forgiving. I mean, it, it, whether it's a football player, whether it's a baseball player or some kind of Hollywood movie star or whether it's just the guy down the street or one of the employees, the fact is, is today is that we're, we're willing to confess when we think we're going to get caught and then we do it because we really think we're going to save our own hide. Well, listen, this isn't what we see in Nehemiah. This isn't what we see in the people of God. The fact is that the true contrition and, and true repentance says, listen, not only do I confess my sin, not only do I accept full responsibility, but I'm willing to take on the consequences, understanding that I deserve everything I get. In this particular case, Nehemiah says, listen, it, it wasn't that conquering city. It was us. We brought this on. All our fault. Wow, what an amazing viewpoint vantage point from a man that really had nothing to do with the captivity he was in another country another land here he was okay I, I don't know was he a boy when he got taken there was he born in this country where he now works I don't know he's the king's cupbearer he obviously held a pretty pretty important position but he didn't dismiss responsibility he definitely took it square on his shoulders and his people's notice this cry in verse 9 now and he reminds god I, I i love this and this is something this is why we need to know the word of god by the way we need to know what god promises us we we need to know his promises because it'll help you in your prayer life and it'll help you to identify your goals it says here, but if ye turn unto me, well, verse 8, remember I beseech thee the word that thou commandest thy servant Moses. He says, now God, you remember, I want to remind you what you told Moses. Now, this is funny. He doesn't start at the good place. He starts at the bad spot. He says, if ye transgress, I will scatter you abroad among, all, among the nations. That's exactly what had been taking place now. He goes, but wait a second, but, but Lord, I want to remind you too. You said, if you turn unto me and keep my commandments and do them, though there were of you cast out unto the uttermost part of the heaven, 
Yet will I gather them from thence and will bring them unto the place that I have chosen to set my name there. I love that about Nehemiah. He says, God, I know what you wrote, and I'm just going to remind you. I know you know too, but I want you to know I know it. And I'm telling you, God, I'm praying with great faith because you said that if we didn't abide by your judgments, we didn't follow your commands, we didn't obey your word, that you would scatter us abroad. That's true. But, Lord, you also said, Lord, I just want you to be reminded of that because I'm, I'm going to ask you for some things now based on your promises. I think that's important. That's wonderful. That's why he had confidence to go to God because he knew God had already promised some things. He just needed to go now with, by faith and say, this is exactly what I want to see you do, Lord. I just want you to fulfill your word. I just want to keep it. And that's good stuff. So we see him crying out to God, praying and fasting and begging God to do something miraculous. Nehemiah, what a tremendous biblical character. And what a tremendous account we have here. Can somebody do something with the heat? It is like scalding in here. I feel like it's about 110 degrees and getting hotter. Can you help me with that, fellas? It doesn't matter to me who. (laughs) Okay. Thank you. Look at Kevin's on the job. Look at it. I didn't mean to draw attention to you, Kevin. <laughs> All right. So today, I want to talk to you about three, three simple thoughts. Or Actually, I just, want to, I just want to bring these thoughts to your mind. I'm going to talk to you today real quickly about the obstacles, the opposition. And then finally, I want to consider the options. Okay? Just three simple thoughts. We got a little background now. We understand where we're going, what's going on here in the passage, what Nehemiah's facing, what the nation's facing. Let's make an application today, all right? Let's pray. Father, we come to you. Thank you again, Lord, and we praise you for just all that you mean to us and all that you do for us. Lord, without you, we're nothing. We just ask, Lord, that uh, you'd guide us, direct us, and lead us. Now, Father, bless the service today. Encourage us. And, Lord, be glorified in everything that's said and done today. Lord, if there be any that are without Christ, may they come to him today. Well, thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So I thought I'd throw this in. If you touch those, don't ever put them on fan. Don't put fan on. Don't Because every time I come into the auditorium, the fan's on, and it runs 24-7, seven days a week. It's got to be on auto. Just, just remind you, it's on auto. Remember the word auto. Okay? <laughs> Not on, auto. Okay? And when that one's on heat, you don't want that one on air. That happens all the time, too. Just thought I'd let you, you know, fill you in on that. That's why when they do something and then you do something without no one knowing it, it doesn't work good. Okay, so let's, let's kind of work together as a team. Let's be careful with that, okay? All right, just thought I'd throw that in because I'm a little bit concerned about the finances. Okay, so anyway, <clears throat> the obstacles. Now let's get to it. The obstacles. Look at... What? What? Okay. <laughs> that wasn't my intention at all. <laughs> the obstacles. All right. <laughs> the obstacles. We have a number of them around here, too. But anyway, the obstacles. First of all, when I look at the obstacles, And again, we're going to try to make some application. Note the obvious again. In the passage, there's some things that are obviously obstacles in dealing with the city and uh, just the the rebuilding. 
Uh, and the city's laid waste by the enemy. That's obvious. We see that. The walls are broken down. The city's left in ruin. We, we note that. It's obvious. It's very clear. You know, they couldn't walk around over there in Jerusalem at this point without stepping over some rubbish. Every step they took. I mean, there was walls laid waste. There was rubble everywhere. They're stepping over things, walking around obstacles. It was very prevalent. It was, it was obvious. Um... I think they had an advantage to some degree, though. Let, let, let me explain. I, there were a lot of obstacles to overcome, without a doubt. I, I understand that. It, it meant it was going to mean a number of hours of labor, a number of hours of sacrifice, without a doubt. We know that. I'm, I'm aware that the living conditions were poor and even dangerous in that day. Yes, without a doubt. But here's what I mean by I think that they had an advantage. At least their ruin was visible. I mean, it was unmistakable. It was measurable. I mean, you could look at that city and you could say, that's a mess. I mean, to tell you, those walls are broken down. That city is in ruin. I mean, there was no doubt about it. Let me share an observation today. Consider our situation. We are surrounded by a host of wrecked and ruined lives. I mean, wrecked and ruined marriages and dysfunctional families and homes. We, we have relationships that are just falling apart everywhere around us. Slavery to sin and vice are just off the charts. And yet the world, if we're honest with ourselves, seems to view it as normal. Just par for the course. It's business as usual. It's acceptable. Stand up, would you please, Josh? Now, I know this isn't the perfect example, but Josh looks normal, almost. <laughs> I mean, if you looked at Josh today, and again, I'm sorry, Josh, I didn't mean to put you down like that. It wasn't my intention at all. But anyway, Josh, he looks sharp. He's dressed nice. He looks the part. He, he fits perfectly here, obviously. He seems, you know, sharp guy. Even prayed. I mean, he prayed for the offering. Man, look at him. I mean, he's got a jacket on. He's got a tie on. His hair's combed even. His shoes even are almost shined. No, they are shined. Christianity. This is Christianity today. If we could open Josh up and say that he was, he was filled with worms and and pus and nasty stuff. And I'd cut him and he'd go... <laughs> That's what I believe the condition of our world is like. It, it, from the outside, often it looks perfectly fine. Oh, over there in Jerusalem, you, could, you had to step over rubble. You knew the walls were broken down. You knew the city was in ruin. But when you look at Christianity today, when you look at our world today, sometimes we say, oh, that's normal. That's, that's, the, that's par for the course. See, he looks sharp. He acts right. He's, he's got all the, he looks the perfect part. And all I'm saying is, is that sometimes it's hard to see the ruin. Thanks, Brother Josh. It's hard to see the ruin. I mean, the world... Promotes sin. It paints it often as being a beautiful picture. They view vice, immorality, and abomination as living. It's normal. It's, it's normal. But those who believe the word of God and possess the mind of Christ understand it to be bondage. Matter of fact, in James, the Bible says, Then when lust 
hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. That's a pretty different picture from what the world's painting and from what we see around us. And unfortunately and sadly enough, even in our churches today, as believers sometimes, we permit and allow things in our lives that are really not Christ honoring. And we'll say, well, it's just normal. It's natural. This is just the way it is today. But he says, the Bible says, when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. You know, there's a number of casualties in this battle we fight and face. And yet most are never aware that there's even a battle raging at all. I mean, the silent disease is the deadliest of all. The one you don't know about. The one that is eating you up on the inside that does not reveal itself on the outside. And this spiritual battle that we face and that we wage is invisible to the naked eye. Therefore, it produces the most fatalities of any warfare. It, it takes more hostages and lives than any. Although the situation was ominous and overwhelming in Jerusalem, at least Nehemiah and the people could clearly see the devastation and the destruction in which it had presented. Their lives, their city was in ruin, and it was as plain as day. Again, sometimes we're impervious to the wretched state or sad situation that our nation, our generation has found because we view it as normal, par for the course. Turn, if you would, to Revelation chapter 3, verse 17, concerning the church itself. I mean, it's easy for us to look at the world and we say, yeah, of course, the world, they're a mess. I mean, look at them. I mean, they're, they're calling, you know, uh, uh, two men being together as normal. That's natural. Well, God's Word says it's unnatural. I mean, they're, they're saying that it's all right to do this or it's all right to do that. They're saying it's all right to live together before you're married and to have physical relationships between one another until you, before you're married. And the Bible says that you're not, it's not good that a man touch a woman. So we know the world's all messed up. They got it all mixed up. And they think that's normal, but really it's a mess and it's destroying them and it's wrecking them and it's bondage and it's slavery to them. They don't know that though. But let me tell you something. Sadly enough, it's right here in our church. Sadly enough, it's, it's in the world we live called the church. And, and, and again, I'm not saying those things necessarily, which they probably are, let's be honest. But the fact is today is that in our own lives, the Bible says it points a day out in the future, back when it was written, that would become exactly like the world in a sense. Look what it says in Revelation 3.17. The Lord speaking about the, the Laodicean church, which is a representative of our day, our time, right now, because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing and knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. So the person saying, the church is saying, and the people within the church often are saying, I'm rich. I'm increased with goods. I have need of nothing. We're doing just fine. We're good to go. And he says, you know not that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. Wow, now that's a commentary for the New Testament church now. I mean, I'm just saying, it is possible for even you and I today 
to somehow have this false sense of reality that we're doing just fine, that our lives are aligned with the Word of God, that we are marching to the tune of Jesus Christ. Just put one foot in front of the... I, I just couldn't get... That was in my mind when I started doing that, and I thought, you ever, you, okay, but anyway, you, didn't, you don't watch those shows, but I do. But anyway, if you have kids, you've watched them. But nonetheless, it's, it's a reality that we do not see ourselves sometimes the way God sees us or, or the way the Word of God is, you know, presents itself. So I guess the, the obstacles, we see the obvious in Jerusalem, but the truth is the observation that I have is that Maybe at times in our lives, our, the walls in our lives are wrecked and ruined. And, and the city's in ruin. <laughs> we don't even know it. It's so subtle today. It's subtle. So the opposition. We could take time to look through the book of Nehemiah. And in chapter 2, chapter 4, chapter, uh, later on in chapter 4 as well, a couple different places, we're going to see that they meet up with a, a, a tremendous amount of opposition. Let, let's turn there just for the sake of it. It will not take a lot of time, but look at Nehemiah chapter 2. Just very quickly, we'll run through a couple verses. Just so you can see, they faced opposition. I mean, the walls were broke down. The city was in ruin, and here they are being opposed. They go back. Their goal, their desire is to accomplish something, to finish the walls, to rebuild the wall, to, again, put some safety uh, and, and some... some uh, um, protection in place and um, to once again build a city that honors God. Notice Nehemiah chapter 2 verse 10. When Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the servant, the Ammonite, heard of it, it grieved them exceedingly that there was come a man to seek the welfare of the children of Israel. And Nehemiah wants to do something on behalf of the people. He wants to bless and to be an encouragement and a help to the people. And boy, I'll tell you what, Sanballat, he didn't like it. Tobiah, they didn't like it a bit. Verse 20, we see his response, Nehemiah, as he says, I, uh, Then answered I them and said unto them, The God of heaven, he will prosper us. Therefore we, his servants, will arise and build, but ye have no portion, nor not right, nor memorial in Jerusalem. These guys wanted nothing to do but to thwart the work, to, to disable the, the workers of God. And yet, here they are opposing this work. You'd think, who would be opposed to rebuilding some walls? Who would be opposed to rebuilding the city? I mean, it's an eyesore over there. Well, these guys wanted nothing to do with it. They knew what it represented. It represented God. It represented glory to Jesus Christ, if you will. Wanted nothing to do with it. Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 1. We see some more. They continue to oppose these guys as they try to build these ladies as they try to build the walls. But it came to pass when Sanballat heard that we builded the wall, he was wroth and took great indignation and mocked the Jews. And I tell you what, they were just getting madder and madder as the work continues. Verse 7 and 8. But it came to pass that when Sanballat and Tobiah and the Arabians and the Amorites and the Ashdodites heard that the walls of Jerusalem were made up, I wonder how they all heard about it. You've got to think maybe Sanballat made sure everybody knew. He got all, everybody together and said, okay, listen, I can't stop, but maybe all of us together can. So it says that they heard that the walls of Jerusalem were made up and that the breaches began to be stopped. Then they were very wroth and conspired all of them together to come and to fight against Jerusalem and to hinder it. So we see the walls starting to build. We see uh, the, 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 the city coming together a little bit. The rubble's been cleaned up. The walls are being put in place. The foundation's being secured and... 
man, things are starting to happen, but guess what? Anytime things start to happen, anytime we're trying to accomplish something that's going to honor and glorify the Lord Jesus, we know we're going to, we're going to, we're going to experience some opposition. And that's what, exactly what they're doing now. They're experiencing some opposition. There's always going to be those who are going to be little and berate the child of God as they work to attempt something for God. There's always going to be those who mock and make fun of our efforts to build the walls and fortify the city. It's just a reality. There's going to even be those that take up arms and are willing to fight, to discourage, to destroy even the efforts. Because, and here's another one that's difficult. There are always those who are comfortable in the muck and the mire. They're comfortable in it. They're fine with everything the way it is. Okay, so what? The walls are broke down. So what? The city's in ruin. Big deal. Who cares? I'm comfortable. I'm going, it's good enough. And the moment you suggest a, a cleanup, the moment you say it's time to do something about the rubble, it's time to get rid of all of that mess, well, there are going to be some rebellion in the ranks. That's what Nehemiah and the people God faced. They had a number of opposition, a number of a number of things that were opposed in their, their work and their effort. You know, if we look around us in our culture, in our world, in our city even, um, there's a number of people that are very comfortable in the muck and the mire. They're comfortable in it. You know, they, they have no problem. I mean, getting drunk's no big deal. Smoking marijuana, of course, was put on the ballot. They tried to even legalize it. So it's obviously no big deal to most people. What was it? Uh, 60% at least said, no, not now. Maybe 63 or something like that, I think I heard. It doesn't really matter what the percentage is. Let's just be honest. As we move forward, more than likely, it will be passed sooner or later. I mean, let's just be honest. I'm glad it didn't pass, and I'm glad people stepped up and showed up and did something about that. But hold on. It just seems that we're becoming more comfortable with sin, more comfortable with the muck and the mire of this world. I'm not saying that there's no hope. We have Jesus Christ. We win enough people to the Lord. There'll be more people at the polls, and it'll make a difference. I believe God can save a nation still. I'm still convinced of it, or I wouldn't do what I do. But we see a, a, great, a great comfort level with sin, and, and, and as we say, the muck and the mire. And the moment you suggest cleaning things up, let's do something about this. Let's get this out of the way. Let's address this issue. There are going to be people that say, why? We're comfortable. Well, you've got to come in here and change everything. What's the big deal? We're doing fine. So, how do we make this applicable to us? Well, that city could represent a number of things. It could represent your life today. It could represent your life. Maybe, maybe there's a lot of clutter in your life. Possibly there's some walls that have been tore down, walls of morality, ethical walls. I, I don't know, maybe walls of right, justice, good. I, I mean, maybe you're bound by vice today. Maybe you're overrun with activity. Maybe you're just downright burdened down with expectation. You, every, everything around you, you think you, you have to measure up to this and measure up to that and live up to that person's expectations and please this person and please that person. 
And every, to every turn, at every turn, there's an obstacle. At every turn, you're trying to sidestep a landmine. Again, we've allowed the walls of decency and morality to be broken down in our own hearts in some cases. And they're, un, they're cluttered today with ungodly philosophies. With possibly the world's priorities, the world's ethics. We look at what the world's, and we say, that's what we need to do. That's how we need to act. This is what we, we need to make a priority in our life. We're not consulting the Word of God. We're consulting, really, the world. And, you know, the subtle enemy of humanism, materialism, and even narcissism, it has seemed to capture our minds, and it's infiltrated our lives. I mean, we have the viewpoint of the world often, and we call ourselves believers. We say we're Christians, but we embrace and we accept the ideology and the philosophies of the world often. Your life in your own heart could be cluttered. Maybe you have a problem with pornography today. Maybe you struggle with lust. You're dealing with, with uh, just sin in your life and you could put your finger on it and you know that it doesn't honor God and, and it's clutter in your life and maybe even in your own heart you really wish it wasn't there and you'd like to overcome it and you want to deal with it but on the other hand you're kind of comfortable in it. It's working. I'm dealing. But you're also always stepping over the clutter. Clutter in our lives. You know? But what about our marriages? You know, we think about that. I mean, this city could represent our marriages. I mean, the walls have been broken down. I mean, you know, they're shallow. The marriages are empty. Our marriage is lifeless. But it's normal. Everybody's is like that, right? I mean, you, you, you can't help but have a marriage like that today. You're just lucky to have one. I mean, everybody's going their own direction. There's so much activity in our lives. And he works, she works. And the kids are busy. And we're ramming them here and doing this and doing that. We don't have time to cultivate the kind of relationship that we want. Just got to suck it up and deal with it. Our marriages are shallow, empty, and lifeless. We're going through the motions. We are really, we're growing apart. They lack fulfillment. They lack passion. They lack intimacy, fellowship, togetherness. But that's, that's normal, right? I mean, I talk to my friends and theirs is very similar and they're struggling in areas and they've got their big obstacles in their life too, just like I do. And we're all stepping over landmines. We're all stepping over clutter along the way. If we're not careful, we begin to feel like someone or something else would be even better. I heard a fellow on the radio say the other day, he goes, uh, the fact is it was, a, it was actually a football player and he was talking about a coaches and, and being unwilling to fire coaches. He was talking about Les Miles, actually, the coach of uh, the LSU Tigers. And he said, you know, I liken it to a marriage. He goes, as far as I'm concerned, as soon as a marriage is bad, you might as well just get out of it and look for something else. He goes, why in the world do you continue to try to make it work when you know it's just not going to happen? The only problem is, is that last time I checked, there's a lot of other people involved here. 
And, and again, I understand the philosophy of the world, and I realize why he would have that kind of mentality because he doesn't have Christ in his heart. He doesn't see the power of God to overcome obstacles in his life. But the fact is today is that, is that that's not the perspective that a believer should have about their marriage. And, and listen, it's not okay to just say things aren't going that well, so, you know, maybe God has someone else for me. And you say that. I, I would never say that. Your marriage gets bad enough or you feel it's going downhill enough, you may think that. You'll be like others that have stepped in my office and said things like, I'm confident God put us together, preacher. And what do you mean God put you together? You're married. It brings someone else in your life. I'm just confident of it because of all those years, I just feel like I've been abused. Oh, so he hit you? He beat you? No, but I feel abused. Oh, I see. And the husband says, I just feel neglected. What do you mean you're neglected? I know what he really means. But I'm just saying the fact is today is that we're not willing. I mean, what's going on here? Marriages, we've got land, we've got clutter everywhere sometimes in our marriages. And we say that's normal. That's just the way it is. We can't expect to have anything better because that's just our world today and that's how we live. Our homes. No peace, no order, no unity. It's like total chaos and confusion, Pastor. I can't stand it. But there's nothing we can do about it. There isn't? What, the, nothing you can do about that. Well, I mean, it's just the way it is. I mean, you got schedules that are so crazy and, you know, working hours and doing this and going here and doing that. And, and usually before it's over with, if I can be so bold to say it, someone will say, and the church takes up way too much time. Oh, that's right. It's the church's fault. Glad you brought that up. If it wasn't for the church, you'd have plenty of time to make your family and your life so much better. But there's rubbish. The rubbish of rebellion in your home. Clutter in the room. I mean, there's the broken walls of discipline. We're not disciplining the way we ought to necessarily. We're too busy. We don't have time for that. And furthermore, I just don't want the battle. I don't want the combat. I don't want to have to go home and fight with my teenager. I have to deal with my children. So what? I'll pick up the toys. As long as they don't throw a tantrum, I'm sick of it. The rubbish of rebellion and the broken walls of discipline or direction or leadership. Those walls being broke down permit often very destructive influences in our home. Dad says, you know what? I ain't got time to deal with this. I'm coming home. I've worked a lot of hours. And mom says, you know, I'm busy. I'm so overwhelmed with life and the family and the children and possibly work and all those things. I ain't got time. Who cares? I don't, go to your room and watch television or something. Do you know what they're watching? And then you wonder why they're rebellious? I'm not trying to be critical. I'm just saying sometimes we think these things are normal. I've given them everything they need. I've given them everything they want. We know that's never true. <laughs> no kid's satisfied. Because no human is. But the fact is today is that so often we think these things are normal. It's just the way it is. Well, everybody's family's a mess. Growing up, I, I, get, I get so tired. Wait till they turn two. That's terrible twos. And I'm like, what do you mean? I don't know what terrible twos are. I'm not trying to be cocky and I'm not trying to be arrogant or prideful, but we didn't have terrible twos in our house. They lasted for two weeks. 
And those horrible threes. Oh, and wait till they're teenagers. Man, those are some of the best times of my life. I long for those days back. I wish my kids, there's a part of me that would love to have them all back as teens. I used to love coming home to a house full of teenagers and having a good time playing ball and work, doing things together and hanging out and having fun and laughing all the time. That's some great days. Someone says, oh, whatever. You're a liar. Can't be that good. You obviously aren't telling the truth. Well, you go believe whatever you want. But I just think you're testifying. I'm telling you, you can have those things in your life, in your home. I'm telling you, there's some clutter possibly in your life. There's some clutter in your marriage, maybe. Maybe there's some clutter in your, your home, and those are things you can deal with and you can face. But, but here it is, you say, how then? I mean, it's up to you, right? Do you see any warning signs? Do you see any concerns in your life? Let me ask you, is your marriage exactly what you want it to be, everything it ought to be? And before you answer it, why don't you ask your spouse, I thought that everything was fine, preacher. And she's going, I'm done. I've been going through this for two, four, six years. I'm finished. It's over. Well, let's see what God can... I'm done. Why are you sitting here now? Why are you even wasting my time? If you're done. But let me tell you something. That's usually when they finally both show up at counseling. I tried to get him there two years ago. He wouldn't go. And now that I'm ready to leave, he wants to come talk to you. That's what I get. And by the way, guys, sometimes your wife has a real issue that needs addressed. And it may be her problem. But let me promise you something. Because you are one flesh, it became yours. And you know what? You need to do it. And some all oh, my pride. I don't need no preacher. I don't need anybody help. I can do this on my own. Yeah, I see how that works so often. I thought last time I checked, God gave us a pastor and a church for a reason. You ought to use that before your marriage goes in the toilet. That's a pretty vivid picture, preacher. Yes, because I'm about sick of watching it and dealing with I can't stand to watch you break up and go out and do what you do. I want you to be happy, content in your marriages. I want you to love one another and appreciate one another and honestly have something good to say about one another. I'm not saying that that's not the case. I don't know. But that's the problem. Most of the time, I don't until it's too late. And you do, though. How's the city look? Are the walls broken down in your marriage? Are, the, are, the, are they in ruin? Do you see warning signs? Your life out of control? Your home overrun by the enemy? I'm telling you. Stop and think. But here's the answer then. It's real simple. The whole point of the whole message is this right here. How do we deal with that? Well, it's in 4.6. Look at Nehemiah chapter 4 verse 6. And this is the only way it gets resolved. There is no other way to fix the walls that are broke down in your marriage, your life, your home, even the city in which we live. No way except this right here to do exactly what the people of God did. Nehemiah 4.6. The Bible says, So built we the wall, and all the wall was joined together unto the half thereof, 
For the people had a mind to work. You see, how there it is. Let's, let's, let's read that last part together here. I'll read the first part. When we get to, for the people had a mind to work, you say it with me. So built we the wall, and all the wall was joined together unto the half thereof, for the people had a mind to work. That's the answer. They had a mind to work. They weren't content with the walls being in shambles. They weren't happy with the rubble all over the place. They weren't content to, to step over things and to just avoid the clutter. No, they said, listen, we want our city to, to be a place where we can be, be proud of. We want a, a, a city that's in order and no longer chaotic. We, we want walls that are strong, protecting us. And we want a city that, is an, that brings glory to God and honors Jesus. And you know what today? The fact is, is that God deserves a life that honors Him. God deserves a marriage that honors Him. God deserves a home that honors Him. And you know, we forget God sometime in this process. We get to thinking that somehow it's about me being happy, me being content, me being doing a good job as a person. I'm a, I, can, I can deal with this. I'm strong and I'm happy and I'm content. And that's all that matters. No, it isn't. Is he happy? Is he content? I mean, it's, oh, my marriage is good and I'm, I'm happy. I love going home. And then that's all that really matters is that me and my family get along so well. And this is wonderful. No, how about this? Is God pleased with your family? Are you watching what you should watch? Are you living how you should live? Are you teaching what you ought to be teaching? Are the children being raised in the nurture and admonition of the Lord? I mean, I'm just wondering today, are we truly honoring God with our lives and our marriages and our families? Or are we just comfortable in ourselves as long as i'm happy as long as my family's happy as long as i'm comfortable that's all that matters i don't care if there's clutter or if there's this or that it doesn't matter god i know you saved me but that's as far as it goes i'll see you in heaven one day and that's unfortunately the spirit and the attitude of so many believers today i don't want god telling me what the standard ought to be in my life how how my 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 family ought to look to the world and look to the, the church. I don't care. what I want what I want. And every time we get frustrated with our children because they have that same attitude, we need to remember that God is our Father. And just maybe every once in a while, He's a little perturbed with us. Nehemiah said, we built the wall. People had a mind to work. Jesus had a mind to work. Paul the Apostle had a mind to work. There's no one in this room that's going to overcome the rubble, that's going to deal with the problems in your life. Listen, you got a pornography problem. Let me tell you, Buster, you're not just going to overcome it on your own. You've been dealing with that way too long. You think you can handle it. You aren't. So guess what? You can't. And so, but I'm not going to, I'm not going to expose myself. I may, it may be horrible. It'll look horrible to my wife and my family if somehow the pastor let it slip or told his wife or, oh, oh, oh. Yeah, so what do you do? You continue to waller in the muck and the mire. You hide these secrets from your family. And pretty soon one day, like that missionary I knew, you'll be looking at something you shouldn't and your little daughter's going to walk up behind you and see what you're looking at and go, what's that, Daddy? Oh. And then your whole family's going to be wrecked and ruined. When you could have dealt with it, you could have faced it, you could have worked a little bit, but you didn't have a mind to work because you were comfortable really in reality in that sin. You were okay stepping over that one. Oh, you had everything else kind of cleaned up. Just everyone, whoop, <laughs> got to get over that one. <laughs> that's all right. That's the only thing really that's bad in my life. 
And, and, and you've you got an attitude toward your wife. You're bitter toward her. Or maybe, wife, you're bitter toward your husband. That's no big deal. I mean, everybody's got problems and disagreements. Yeah, but they're not supposed to be bitter. Christ says we shouldn't live like that. That gives Satan an occasion. Gives him an opportunity in your life to, to bring you down and to hurt and harm your marriage and ultimately your family. Man, we don't want to work at things. Well, put the time and the effort in. The first thing you need to work at is your relationship with Christ. And all that other stuff will happen, but you've got to have a relationship with God. Listen, you don't have a relationship with God without spending time in the Word of God. You don't have a relationship with God without spending time meditating on Him and His Word. You don't have a relationship with God until you really start digging into the Scriptures because they're what, he says, search the Scriptures for in them you think you have eternal life, and they are they which testify of me. Listen, everything that we have in our world, everything as a believer that we possess, is a, a direct result of the knowledge of God in our life. Don't you realize until you know God, you really have nothing spiritual in your life? It's all about knowing Him. So you say, I say, well, describe God to me, would you? You say, oh, well, that's kind of a tall order. You know, and we say we really walk with God, but we can't even describe Him? I mean, okay, so maybe we can't capture the whole of His person, but we can certainly grab hold of something that God's giving us. And when you do share that, does it line up with what God says he is? His description of self. What's your relationship with the Lord? That's where the first effort starts. The first, clean out the clutter. Get rid of some of that stuff in your life. But hold on. There's some things I promise you you can't get rid of till you have accepted and included somebody, and that's Jesus in your life. Oh, you're a child of God, maybe. You say, I can point to a day I got saved. And I know without a doubt I'm on my way to heaven. I'm not, that's not, okay, that's great. I'm happy for you. But the truth is, until you make up your mind that you want to please him more than you want to please yourself, you want to please him more than you want to please your wife or husband, you want to please him more than you want to please your family, you want to please him more than you want to please your employer, when you get to the place where he's the one you want to please most of all, then I'm telling you, you stick your nose in that book, you begin to work on that relationship, and you say, I stretch forth my hands unto thee, my soul thirsteth after thee as a thirsty land, Lord, and I'm going to come after you, and I'm going to work at it, and I'm not going to sit down, rest, or lay down till I know you're in my corner and your hand's on my shoulder. I mean, and then when you get that attitude, then all of a sudden, all of a sudden, some of these other things are going to be easy to get rid of. But you've got to work at that relationship with the Lord. How much time do you spend working at that? How much time do you spend working on that relationship? Isn't that the real breakdown today? Come on. Let's just be honest. Who spent more than five minutes in their Bible today? Don't raise your hand, please. Honestly. Who spends more than 10 minutes a day in, their word, in the Word of God? I mean, honestly. I mean, we could pull Christians today across the country. We don't know anything about the book. We don't know anything about the, the writer. But we know about Christianity because we go to church and we know you've got to wear this and you've got to act like this and you've got to do this and you sing this song and you... That's not, that's not true Christianity. Those are, those are outworkings of things, but that, that isn't what God's most interested in. He's most interested in here. Won't you let God do that? Work at things. Have a mind to work on your relationship with the Lord. Have a mind to work on your marriage and, and on your life. Get rid of the clutter. Let God have you. And then let God have your marriage. And let God have your family. And do things His way. 
And then all of a sudden, you will glorify the Lord in every aspect of your life. You know, the, the, the disciples turned the world upside down, the Bible says. They did that because they had a mind to work. They weren't sitting home taking it easy. They were busy about the things of God. And let me tell you, your life being right with God is as important as winning that world. Because that world will never be won until your life is what it ought to be. And you know what the truth is? I don't care how godly you perceive yourself to be. If your marriage isn't what God says it ought to be, you're not able to help them out there. I'm, I'm t- you might be able to lead somebody to the Lord, but you can't really help people because you're not solid in your foundation and your walls are broke down. That home is so important, that family. That marriage, it starts with a marriage and it goes to the home. You've got to get that in order. A guy says, I can quote half the Bible preacher. I'm in church every time the doors are open. I go soul winning every time I've given an opportunity. I love people. I love the bus ministry. I love Sunday school. I love it all. Can I teach the people about God? I go, yeah, but your marriage is a mess. And your family's upside down. Your children aren't in subjection. They're rebellious. Your testimony is shot. How can you teach people about the power of God and not see it evidenced in your marriage and in your family? You become a hypocrite. Someone says, I don't agree with that. You don't have to agree with it. Read the Bible. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2. The things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able. Hey, listen, you can't dismiss the things around you. You can't discard them and say, my wife doesn't matter. She's just a loser. But I got it together. You can't go forward in the ministry without your family. And I don't care. You don't have to be a preacher. That's anybody. That's all of us. Get yourself on board with God. Have a mind to work at your relationship with Christ. Get your marriage on board with God's standard. Get your family on board, your children and your family, the best you can. Maybe your children are out of the house now. You can't control that. I understand that. Well, you can control what is in the context of your home and in your heart, in your life. Do your best. Have a mind to work. Let's let God use us today in a mighty way. You know what? He loves us. He, he doesn't shut the door on us like we shut the door on each other. He, he cares enough to say, I'm going to give you some opportunity here. I realize you're just frail. You're human. You're flesh. And I love you enough that I'm going to give you an opportunity to deal with this. You say, I've dealt with it. I'm telling you, I can't deal with it. I'm not able to overcome it. I've been through this before. I don't care. God's saying, come on now. I, I can help you. Won't you just have a mind to work? I'll tell you what. We, we ought to be at an altar today saying, God, my relationship with you isn't what it ought to be. We need to, get, we need to get closer to him. There's some rubbish in my life. Isn't there something in your life that needs to go? And when that goes, can't we pick something else up? Him. Include him more and more. Allow him to have center stage. It'll change your life, your marriage, and your family. Father, we love you. Today, Lord, there may be somebody that's lost and